I'm Dr. Frank Lipman, and Ubuntu is vital to my well-being. Ubuntu is a South African term which means what makes us human is the humanity we show each other. Welcome to Wellbeings. My name is Dominic Bowden. And again, look, this has been an incredible experience, learning along with everyone, finding ways to take back just a little bit of control. And I tell you, more than any other topic, what we're talking about today has been the most requested subject by a long way. Before we get into it, just one more time, thank you to everyone that has helped get this out there, to everyone that's listened and shared their experience, as we all do our best to change for the better. All right, now to today's episode, how do we optimize our sleep? The crazy thing is with just a few small adjustments to our sleep environment, we can change so much of our life experience. In this conversation, we look at the power of morning sunlight, how to get your bedroom in check, and the role that your gut plays in getting better sleep. And a hint, it's a big one. But more than anything, if we get better sleep, we end up with a healthier brain and body. Warning, he does break down the science in detail, but I tell you, it is worth hanging in there. The gems in this conversation have helped me get some of the best sleep in my life, and hopefully we'll do the same for you too. So please enjoy my conversation with the best-selling author of Better Sleep, Better You, Dr. Frank Lipman. But just before we start, this wouldn't have been possible without the support of our friends at AIA, who've been on the path with us on this project really right from the start. Like what we're trying to do there, AIA Vitality Platforms, a fully science-backed health and well-being program. It's about making small incremental changes so we can all live healthier, longer, better lives. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you so much to Dr. Frank Lippman for being here, the author of Bestseller, Better Sleep, Better You. Uh, and I tell you, if it's one thing it feels the world is consumed about, it is getting good sleep. And it, it, to me, it just feels like it's not something our grandparents were complaining about like we are. Am I correct in thinking that? No, you're 100% correct in, in, in saying that. You know, sleep is just a pointer to some other imbalance in the system. When you're not sleeping well, it's usually indicative that something else in the system is off whack. Our bodies in this day and age are, are not as resilient or are more stressed out, polluted, um, and unhealthy than they were maybe 50 years ago. Well, I think we talk about um, it being uh, a great way to work out what is wrong with us. Um, and I, I kind of just want to talk about what bad sleep can do. I, I think that really when you think of all the progresses we've made as a society, we live so much faster uh, and we sleep so much less. So, Dr. Frank, if you can kind of paint the picture uh, for what what a bad sleep does to us. There's more and more research coming out, but what we know now is uh, bad sleep over time can lead to heart disease, diabetes, obesity, Alzheimer's, most chronic diseases that most of us are scared of um, in this day and age. Sleep can actually be a factor or be a cause of. The biggest ones would be heart disease, uh, obesity, diabetes, and Alzheimer's. Wow. It's kind of scary stuff. Well, it doesn't have to be. I mean, I think you need to be scared enough to make changes, but the changes that you make are actually not that difficult. So I think you should be scared enough to go, i got to get my shit together. 
I don't know if you can say that in New Zealand, <laughs> but probably you can. But you know, it's not that difficult. Little things can, you know, can little changes can give you big results. Before we get into that, and I want to dig in. I know you've got a lot of hacks and tips that you can give people. When we look at the phrase "sleeping like a baby." Right, you know, it feels like a lot of it is around parents giving these great routines uh, and getting into sleep patterns. Then we get older, we get in control, and it all goes out the window. I mean, is there any truth to that? You know, we, how do we get it so wrong? There's a lot of truth to that. You know, I have a 16 month old grandson, and I see how important routine is for him. You know, my daughter is very rigid with her routines and I see how effective it's been. Um, and that is one of the big reasons why sleep is such an issue because we don't see sleep as the primary rhythm in our body. You know, most of us are, are, are don't think of us humans as microcosms of the macrocosm. You know, we are microcosms of this outer world. And the main rhythm in this outer world is dark and light, is day and night. And the main rhythms in our bodies, the equivalent rhythms, are sleep and being awake. So sleep is your primary rhythm. And if when and when you don't get um, rhythmic, or you go to sleep at, you know, one night it's twelve o'clock, the next night it's eight o'clock. When you're not regimented, or you're not sticking to this uh, regular rhythm, it's going to affect your sleep in a negative way. I think that's probably one of the biggest tips or the most important tips I can uh, tell people and I, the most helpful ones are just try get your body back in rhythm. Try go to sleep at about the same time every night and wake up at about the same time. If you can get that going, try get some early morning light um, first thing in the morning. Have your room as dark as possible at night. So, so um, acknowledging and respecting the rhythms of nature and the rhythms of your body are probably the two biggest things that can be helpful in, in sleep. And I think the interesting thing is as well, you know, there are a lot of things that we can all do, but then we are also personal, right? And it, and it is about working out what our personal sleep protocol is, right? I've got some friends that say to me, hey, look, I stay up to one in the morning uh, and then some that need to be in bed by 10 p.m. I want to know, is there science behind, you know, being a night owl or an early bird? Absolutely. Well, you know, that's a genetic thing. So some people are, are larks and early bird. I'm like that. I wake up automatically at 5, 5.15 every morning. But by 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, I'm tired and I, I go to sleep. So you've got to respect your body's rhythm. Some people are night owls. You know, I have friends who need to go to sleep at 11, 12 o'clock. And I don't think you, that it's that everyone has to go to sleep at the same time. But most people are either larks or night owls. There's a couple of people who are sort of, you know, somewhere in between. Um, but respect that. So if you are going to bed at 11 o'clock, that's fine. If you're a night owl, just make sure that you go to bed approximately the same time and wake up at approximately the same time. So if you go to bed at 11, 12 o'clock, don't be like me and wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Just wake up maybe at 7 o'clock in the morning. I think the rhythm the regularity of when you go to bed and wake up is is much more important because yes, some people are night owls, other people are, are morning people, are larks. Yeah, we talk about all the negative things that can happen if we don't get enough sleep, but you know, let's talk about the benefits of getting the right amount of sleep, whether it be you know weight loss or energy levels. 
Now, what are the benefits of getting the right amount of sleep for your body? Most people know how much better they feel when they are sleeping well. They're more energetic. They have much more mental clarity. They're less moody. Um, yes, as you mentioned, that you know, it's it's a way to lose weight. You know, I you know I always say if you want to weigh less, sleep more. Um, but you know, it's good for your heart health. It's good. You know, I do a lot of testing in my practice. We do a lot of um, biomarkers for longevity, and I, you know, I've seen over the years now, especially in the last year or two, when people are monitoring their sleep, you know, they're now all these, you know, wearables that you can monitor your sleep. You know, I'm seeing really interesting um, effects on people's blood biomarkers when they start paying more attention to sleep. So, you know, I, I think getting a good night's sleep is probably going to affect every aspect of your health, most of which you won't even realize. But you will feel more energized. You will feel more mentally clear. I mean, those would be the two things you're really going to feel. Um, but it's it's probably affecting your health in many ways where we don't even realize it. Well, I think sleep for me fuels so much of what I do. Uh, and, and as you say, it gives you that energy. Not all sleep is created equal. you know. So just before we break down some tips of what people can do. Just explain to us what is a healthy, you know, eight or nine hours sleep. It's a great question because what's interesting about, and this is a question I get asked all the time, what happens, especially as, I'm, you know, men getting older, their prostates get bigger and they have to pee all night or women going through menopause, they wake up a few times at night to pee. And, you know, the, the, the question is, and I'll feed it into your question, is that a problem that I'm waking up three times a night to pee? And my answer is no, not necessarily, as long as you're going back to sleep. So what happens during sleep is you, you're going through cycles of sleep. When you sleep, you go from light sleep to maybe REM sleep to, to, to deep sleep to REM sleep. So you're going through these cycles all night. So... Um, you, you, the, the the problem will be if you're waking up three times and you're having a hard time going back to sleep. But if you're going back to sleep, it's not a problem. So don't expect to be in a deep sleep the whole night. I think when you're younger, most people don't even realize they go to sleep and they wake up the next morning and they think they just had one long, deep sleep. But your sleep doesn't work like that. You are going through these cycles of different phases of sleep, all of which are important and have different specific functions. So as long as you're going through those cycles, and this is one of the good things about, you know, I'm, you know, these sleep wearables are interesting. I don't think they are the full answer. I mean, but they're convenient to wear, you know, if you're wearing a ring, um, you know, you're not going to go to bed with an EEG to really monitor it properly. But I think you can see patterns from these wearables, and I like that for most people. And most people then realize that, you know, even if they're getting an hour to two hours of deep sleep, it's and and you know, um, uh, and a lot a lot of their sleep is light sleep or or whatever it is. They're realizing that they don't have to be in a deep sleep for seven hours. They, they you know, they go through these cycles, and um, that's normal. Well, I use the Aura Ring. I see you do as well. And I think for me, I can wake up and lie in bed and pretty much 
call the number, you know, before I even look at the app of what, you know, what my sleep score is. So I guess it's about listening to your body, isn't it? And becoming intuitive yeah. to what it's trying to tell you. Yeah, I think so. I think after a while, you know, I mean, I know when I've had a good sleep and I haven't had a good sleep. The interesting thing I got from this is the cyclical nature of this, of my sleep, which, you know, when I started researching it, you know, you, you realize that's normal. But uh, yes, I think as you tune into your body, you know if you've had a good sleep or not. You don't really have to have a wearable to tell you that. I think the wearable can be helpful for a lot of people with just to see your pattern uh, or, or if your pattern is going off. But for the most part, as you tune into your body, you know if you've had a good sleep or not. It's very rare where it doesn't correlate when I can, I can tell, I thought I had a terrible night's sleep and I look at my numbers and it looks quite good, yeah. The world we live in has such a huge uh, place in, in why we are sleeping as we are, you know. And, and I guess for you, I'd love for you to break down, you know, the big things that are affecting uh, our sleep. You know, we know that technology plays a huge part, but even the anxiety and stresses of things like social media uh affect our ability to be able to get into a deep sleep? You know, what do you see as the biggest um, negatives or the biggest causes of bad sleep? Well, I would say the commonest cause that I see in my practice is stress and anxiety, um, which is um, creating hormonal and neurochemical consequences which are affecting our sleep. So that, that would be the commonest issue that just stress and people aren't able to calm down their nervous systems. That in a, in New York anyway, but I think the other big problems are we are sit under artificial lights all day, we, we, and we don't get enough natural light. So we don't get enough natural light during the day, and we get too much artificial light at night. Your body's major main sleep hormone is melatonin. And that only starts getting secreted when there's darkness. So if you're sitting under artificial light, your body doesn't know that it's different to natural light. So I think the light pollution, for lack of another term, is another big issue. And then the third big issue, apart from maybe hormonal imbalances as we get older, is the gut, the diet and the gut. Um, I see this all the time. People come in with gut problems. They don't even realize they're having sleep problems or they're not complaining of sleep problems. And you correct the gut problem and they come back and they say, oh my God, I'm sleeping so much better as a side effect. So they don't even, they don't even know that they're having problems with sleep or they don't register. They know they're getting bloated and gassy and they can't poop, but they're not really thinking of their sleep's not so good. But when you get their gut better, their sleep gets better. So there's this huge connection between what's going on in the gut and the microbiome and our sleep. Well, I think for a lot of people, they find it hard to, to, to bridge those two things. How does your gut and what you're eating and your diet affect the way you sleep? So maybe you can kind of sort of help explain that. Sure. Well, first of all, you've got to understand there's a direct highway between the gut and the brain. It's called the, the vagus nerve. So everything that's going on in the gut, you know, all the neurochemicals that are released in the gut and all the neurochemicals that are made in the brain are also made in the gut. In fact, the gut is called your second brain. So there's more serotonin, which is the happy chemical, for instance, made in your gut than made in your brain. So if your gut is off and it's um, 
these bugs in your gut are releasing what we call um, metabolites, which are uh, negatively affecting your sleep, which is obviously happening for a lot of problem. When you correct that and these gut bacteria stop releasing those metabolites, then you sleep better. So you can shift your gut microbiome or the bacteria in your gut or what they release, and that will affect how well you sleep because of this direct highway, this connection between the gut and the brain. Wow. You've got this thriving practice right now in New York, right? And, and I'm sure you see all sorts of people. When, when they come in and they tell you what's going on and, and, and they are those same words, anxiety and the stresses of life and maybe gut pain or gut issues, wh what are the things that you prescribe to them? What, what do you say are the first steps that they should take to getting better sleep? I'm a big believer in... Um, sort of dealing with the low-hanging fruit. You know, I've been practicing for 40 years now. What I've found is if you can make someone feel better quickly, then you've got them hooked. So I usually work with the gut or often work with the gut first because the gut is an area that you can get someone's gut working much better quite quickly. And when the gut is... Uh, more optimized or functioning better, most people will sleep better, have more energy, have more mental clarity, lose some weight, lose the puffiness. So sleep or stress or aches and pains may be harder or take a little bit longer to get better. So I often start with treating the gut because you get the most bang for your buck. I think for a lot of people, they go gut health, and they just, it's a big question mark, right? And, and they don't know where to start. So if, if people out there right now are going gut health, how would I even begin to tackle something like that? Great question. So, so you know, why I say I start there is a lot of people will come in to see me with all sorts of problems and they have gas and bloating and they constipated or they have reflux and they think that's just an, a normal aspect of aging. They don't realize that having a good poop and a well-functioning gut and not getting bloated and not getting reflux is really important to your general health. They just take it for granted that, well, everyone else has it. I'll just take Nexium or one of these proton pump inhibitors just to stop too much acid production. I'll take some Miralax or, or some laxative because I can't poop. Um, so they just treat the symptom without treating the underlying problem. And um, so they're not really focused on their gut problem because the antacid or the PPI or the Miralax that they take actually helps some of those symptoms. You know, the, the metaphor I always use is if you're driving your car and the oil light goes on, you don't put a Band-Aid over the oil light um, and drive on. You see why the oil light went on. So, for instance, if you've got some reflux, you don't just take an antacid. You, you want to see why you're having the reflux. The first part, place I always start with my patients is I usually change their diets. I'm not a believer in there's one right diet for everyone. I don't think everyone needs to be a vegan. I don't think everyone needs to eat a paleo diet. I don't think there is one right way to eat. But if someone is eating a lot of processed foods, if someone is eating a lot of gluten in particular in America is a big problem. In New Zealand, it's 
I, I don't think it's such a problem. If someone is eating a lot of meat in America, they're mainly eating factory farm meats. In New Zealand, all your meat is grass-fed. That's the law there. So it's a little bit different. But I look at all the problem foods in someone's diet, and I'd remove them. So I'll take out the sugar. I'll take out the processed foods. I'll take out the gluten for sure. Sometimes I take out all the grains. Sometimes I'll take out meat if they eat it or tell them they can only have grass-fed meat. So it all depends on what's going, but I'll, I'll try and look to see what triggers they have in their diets and I'll remove those foods that could be a problem and say, do this for two weeks and come back and see how you're feeling. And, and most people will feel better when they remove the foods that are irritating them. At the same time, I usually use some antimicrobial herbs, herbs that can help balance the gut flora, just because I want people to feel better quickly. So I usually not only change people's diet diets on the first visit, I usually use some antimicrobial herbs. And at the same time, I get people to, if they're not exercising, to start moving their bodies if they're not meditating, to either download a meditation app or start doing some breathing exercises. So we try create some easy lifestyle changes that they're going to actually um, adapt in their life. And you say, listen, do this for two to four weeks and let's see what happens. Because you want them to feel better quite quickly. Because once someone comes back and they're feeling better, then you don't have to convince them anymore. When someone's had the subjective sensation of vitality or feeling good again, then, you know, they're going, they're going to know or believe that, you know, whether it's uh, sleep hygiene or the meditation or the diet change or whatever it is has made a difference and there's more chance that they're going to continue to do that. Yeah. Long answer for a short question. No, no, no. And, and incredible, incredible insights. Doctor, amazing. And I guess if we move on from uh, the gut health and, and we think about environment, right? You talk about creating a healthy space for someone to get good sleep. And, and there's everything from temperature to making sure you're in a dark space. You know, what are your tips that you would say to people on how to get uh, the perfect night's sleep? Right. So the two ones you just mentioned, the, the dark room and a cold temperature below 68 degrees. Well, I don't know you guys use Fahrenheit or yeah. not. 68. I'm not sure what that 68, is. Yeah. 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 Anyway, both of those, a dark room and a cold room, actually are helpful in, in, in helping your body produce the melatonin that is needed for a good night's sleep. Any little bit of light that gets through into your eyes is going to hip, inhibit melatonin, as is a warmer room. So it's important to have a cold and a dark room. Those two are really important. I'm a big fan of preparing yourself for sleep or having some type of transition period. You know, it's very hard to go to 100 miles an hour and just stop dead and go to sleep. So I'm a big believer in taking at least a half an hour to an hour of transition before your daily life where you're doing things actively and then, you know, chilling out and going to bed. So in that hour, a hot bath, listening to some relaxing music. I'm a big fan of Bob Marley, for instance, or reggae music. 
It calms down your body and trains to the rhythm. We talked about rhythm. Um, when the beat's at about 60 beats per minute, your heartbeat slows down and entrains to that rhythm. So any slow music, reggae being a perfect example, is really good to transition to. Dim the lights, a good idea. Do some breathing exercises, some restorative yoga, anything just to calm the body down. So transitioning between your waking life and your sleep is really helpful as well. Wow. Some great, some great tips there. And I think for a lot of people, uh, it, it's, it's also because we want to look good, right? And I think that we've got you here. You're an anti-aging doctor as well. You know, we hear the term beauty sleep. Uh, and so I want to know, you know, what are the things that we can do to improve the way we look uh, through sleep as well? Well, it's not only the way we look on the outside, it's what's going on inside. And, and sleep is, you know, I, the book before my sleep book was like a longevity book. And, you know, as I get older, you know, now I'm 66, almost 67, you start uh, looking at how to stay young or, you know, I want to enjoy my grandson as he gets older and older. So you're looking for more ways to, to um, increase your health span, which is not only your lifespan, but your health span, the, the amount of time you stay healthy and vital before you just snuff, you know, drop dead and snuff it. Um, <laughs> but when I was researching my longevity book, sleep is probably one of the best anti-aging tips, you know, you can get. Um, the other one would be what we just spoke about, getting sugar out of your diet, um, moving your body, exercising, all the things that will help you sleep better will actually help you age better, which is quite interesting. Getting your microbiome balanced, um, dealing with your stress, moving your body, getting the sugar out of your life. These all will help your sleep. And then the intangibles, you know, having gratitude, just being grateful for what you have, being kind, being kind to yourself, being kind to others, being kind to the earth. These small Ordinary things that we do on a daily basis have an extraordinary effect on our health and our sleep and, and how well we age. Wow. You, you talked about uh, meditation as well. And I think for a lot of people, it's a word they don't know how to approach. You know, like I say my parents' age, you know, they're in their 60s. They know they want to get a good night's sleep. They do all these things that you're saying that they shouldn't do, still being on their phones and their laptops. But meditation is a very hard thing to get people to give a try. But from your medical science perspective, why do you say mindfulness or quieting the mind is, is, is such a powerful tool? The physiological effects of meditation are the exact opposite of stress. So stress st stimulates your sympathetic system. Meditation stimulates your parasympathetic system. So it's the perfect antidote to the stresses in our lives. So that's why I'm such a big fan, because most of us um, have an overactive nervous system. We're agitated. We're stressed out. I mean, this is just life today, especially with the pandemic. It's made everything worse. That's not only going to have a negative effect on your sleep, which it does, but over time, it has a negative effect on your health, on your brain, on all aspects of your health. And the perfect antidote to that is 
deep breathing exercises or meditation or stimulating your parasympathetic response. Now, I think it's important for most people to realize that meditation can be, you, you, it's a personal thing. It can be dancing around a living room, getting as long as you're getting out of your head and you're in your body. It can be running, whatever, you know, as long as you're getting out of your head. It can be painting. It can be knitting. It can be washing the dishes. The important thing is to be present in whatever you're doing and getting out of your head. And in fact, for people who struggle with meditation, the easiest way to get out of your head is to move your body. So if you exercise and can get out of your head and just get into your body while you're exercising, that can theoretically be used as a form of meditation. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, the, the best meditation will be, you know, true meditation, but I still see all these other aspects of stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system as a means to an end, as a way of getting out of your head and just calming your nervous system down, which is ultimately what you want. And I think the other big one for me is, you know, anxiety. And I think the pandemic, the last year and a half that we've all been through has really just had a, a put a lot of pressure on a lot of people, you know, and, and from different ages, the people that come and see you, doctor, what do you say is the best tool that you have in your arsenal to tackle anxiety and depression? You know, once again, it's, you know, getting people to either, you know, meditation is the catch, catch all, but how you get people there, there are different ways. You know, some people start with an app, some people um, go to meditation classes, some people start with yoga or some type of, or Tai Chi or some type of moving meditation. Uh, some people start with breathing exercises. Um, there are many ways in there, but learning to calm down your nervous system is really important. Now, there are some nutrients that may help some, but ultimately, these are, you know, you need to develop some type of technique or, or get into some type of habit or um, use some technique to calm your nervous system down yourself. But, you know, the nutrients like L theanine, which is an amino acid, which can be helpful. We're using a lot of CBD now, which I don't know what the story is in New Zealand, but CBD um, and sometimes even with a bit of THC where, where it's legal can be very helpful too. So, you know, I think there's safer ways to calm down the nervous system with with herbs, herbs um, and nutrients than using drugs because the drugs over time become addictive and they have side effects over time. So. I'm not one for using drugs, but if someone needs a little bit of help before they learn some type of technique, I use L-theanine um, or GABA, gamma, GABA amino butyric acid or CBD. I'm using more and more now. Dr. Frank, this has been so insightful. And I think a lot of people out there are now more equipped you know, just in closing, you know, we, I think we all need sort of a toolbox, something that we can, you know, go into when we're going through the struggles of the last year and a half or getting a good night's sleep or feeling like that we've got more energy as we age. So, you know, what for you is in your toolbox when you open it up um, to help with all of those things? 
try to spend time in nature, I find that very, very healing. And there's more and more research actually confirming that. I try in the mornings, if I don't go for a ride um, through the forest where, where, where I am, um, I'll, I'll try to wake up and meditate. Um, I try eat as little sugar as possible. I'm not perfect with any of this. You know, you, you do your best, uh, you fall off the wagon, you get up from the floor, you dust yourself off, and you get back on the wagon. So that's what I encourage people to do. The ability to laugh at yourself is important. Um, don't take yourself too seriously. But I think the more you can get into the habits of doing something to quieten down your nervous system, getting outside in, in nature, um, taking the crap out of your diet, um, and then being kind to yourself, being kind to yourself, being kind to others, being kind to the earth. I think though, just starting off there can get you quite far. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Frank, and also just being in service, you know, helping people live a more considered life uh, through your books, incredible reads, uh, and just keep up the good work. Thank you, and thank you for all the work you do. And there it is. Huge thank you to the doctor. For more from him, head to drfranklipman.com. The game changers for me have been wearing an eye mask and doing all I can to stay away from my phone three hours before I get to sleep. But of course, I know life gets a vote, so it's a work on. People close to me really needed some help hacking their sleep, and this was a super powerful interview for them. So if you know someone that you think would benefit from this, please share it with them and share your experiences with us at wearewellbeings.com or on Instagram at wearewellbeings. And more than anything, please subscribe and help us to continue to hopefully build this little community. Thank you again to AIA Vitality. And yeah, until next time, let's support each other as best we can and ask the question, how can we grow through this instead of just go through it? We'll see you next time.